Well, good morning. My name is Nicole Schreiber, and I am the lead pastor here at Erie First, and we are so thrilled that you joined us today, especially if you're here uh, for the very first time. I'm really excited this morning to start a new series that we're calling Perspectives, and uh, what we're going to be talking about, I invited some congregation members uh, each week, as you can see, um, and I'm going to introduce you to these um, folks in just a minute, but to help me with this series, and so I'm really excited about it. Look at the person next to you and say she's really excited about this. Maybe we should be too. All right. And, and I want you to know, I tell you all the time that we preach better when you respond. So I'm going to speak for these guys too. When they say something good, make sure that you let them know it, okay? Because it is a little nerve-wracking to be up here looking at all of you. All right. Um, so in the Bible, let me tell you a little bit about these, this um, series and why we called it this. In the Bible, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each gospel was written to cover the life and the ministry of Jesus. And each gospel writer wrote from a different angle. They wrote from a different perspective. They looked at the character of Jesus from different angles. Now, the gospels are not intended to be a history or a biography of the life of Christ. We see a lot of that. We know, we know what Jesus did. We know his historical things as we read it. But that's not why the gospel writers wrote the book. They did it because they wanted um, for, to explain, to share, to portray on purpose things about the Lord Jesus Christ that they experienced. And Jesus did many more things than the Gospels testify. And so when we compare the Gospels with one another, we get this overall portrait of Jesus. Now, each author has an emphasis, and we'll see that as we go through this series. But in Matthew, um, he wanted us to know that Jesus is king. In Mark, he wanted us to know that Jesus is servant. In Luke, that he is the son of man, the perfect human. And in John, he wanted us to know that he is the son of God. And so the gospel writers are united in intent, but unique in perspective. They're united in intent, but unique in perspective. And that's our goal with this series in October, that each person, that everyone has a unique perspective to the word of God. And, and what creates that angle is all kinds of life experiences. It could be the home you grew up in. It could be the school you attended. It could be the experiences you've had in your childhood and your adult life and so on. But these perspectives, the idea is they will get us a better, more clear, more true understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. And isn't that the goal? To understand and to know him more clear. United in intent, unique in perspective. So one of the most important takeaways for this series is that you would understand and really grab hold of the fact that reading the scripture for yourself is so important. You can come here and you can hear what we have to say each week, but if you don't open the word of God between now and next Sunday, you are missing out as to what God wants to show you. And so as you dive into God's word, as you sift through it from your angle, from your life, from your perspective, God is going to teach you things that are deep and meaningful about who he is. And so I really want to encourage you. In fact, I want to do more than encourage you. I really want to challenge you this month, the month of October, to read through all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can do it, you can listen to it if you're an audible person, you can listen to it on your way to work, you can read it right before you go to bed at night, you can read it over breakfast, you can do it as a family, but I want to encourage you to read through the four Gospels, and let's do this together. Let's do this together as a church family, and God is going to show you different things from your angle and from your understanding. 
And then each week in October, I want you to read through the scripture, then come back every Sunday, don't miss a Sunday, and look at some of these epic moments in the Gospels um, that we are going to look at, and we're going to hear varying perspectives about these moments. And I really believe that we are going to discover something fresh, that we're going to discover something new, something that perhaps our own perspective has limited us in our understanding, but God wants us to understand. God wants to show us. And so I believe we're going to meet Jesus in a really powerful and personal way through his word this month of October. Um, So I have here with me this morning these two very special guests. They haven't left the stage yet, so that's good. Um, I want to introduce to you them. This is my great friend, Amber. Um, Amber is a, a lover and a student of Jesus. She is a mountain adventurer, so if you ever want to hear a good story. Um, she is a type five on the Enneagram, for those of you that share that personality study that both Amber and I do. She has worked at churches and Christian camps in various ministry capacities, and she would say her greatest desire is to love people in the most unique and radical way. Would you just give her a hand for helping us out this morning? All right, and to my left is Mr. Tom Heinrich. And Tom um, started his faith journey in his later 20s uh, when the Lord really became very, very real to him. In fact, his words were, uh, got his attention, kind of knocked him over the head in a really powerful way. Um, He spent most of his working career at GE until 2010, and he is retired now from there, but he currently spends much of his time as a photographer, and he has a passion for political activism and feels a really great responsibility to be an influence for the Judeo-Christian ethics that our country was founded on. So can you welcome him? We're so glad that he's here this morning. Great. So I just want to kick this off with a question. I'm going to start with Amber. Um, And I put the question on the screen so you can know uh, what we asked them ahead of time. But Amber, in your life, what are some significant things that have helped shape your perspective as you read the Word of God? Yeah, so I think of two things um, that have really shaped my biblical perspective. And the first one's my education. Uh, Did anybody grow up in Sunday school, or am I the only one? There's a few of you. Okay, awesome. So Sunday school um, was really foundational um, in my early uh, Bible education, and I don't know if you remember the flannel graphs, it's not quite like the technology that we have here today, but um, really made God's word come alive and um, just learn God's character and who he is, and then how to apply it to our everyday life. And so that was the beginning stages of my um, shaping my biblical perspective. And then the second one is I attended seminary, and that's where I learned how to exegete and study the scripture and understand it from like cultural perspective, historical perspective, and a social perspective. And it was there that I learned that there are many perspectives of viewing and interpreting scripture and how important it is to know how to properly approach and apply the word. And then the second significant thing that has shaped my perspective is life events. Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is alive and active. And when you look at the meaning of these words alive and active in the Greek, it means that God's word has energy. It is effective and at work. And God's behind it, and he makes his word move, and it takes action, and it does things. And so I learned to pray scripture over my life and in the lives of others and situations. And so I have a quick story to kind of make that come alive for you. So a few years ago, I was running a Christian camp in Wyoming. And when I first got the position, I decided that it would be important to pray scripture over the campground. So I walked the property and I prayed Psalm 91 over it, asking God to send his angels to guard and protect it 
to guard our tents and cabins and to protect us from natural disasters and the enemy's schemes. And a few months later, a wildfire broke out just a mile from the camp. And so I started to pray again and just claim the truth of that scripture. And the fire continued to grow over 5,000 acres and there were trucks and numerous uh, aircrafts fighting the fire. And it began to get closer and closer to camp. And so uh, I was able to even hear the, the trees crackling because like, the flames were like so big and it was that close. And when I would go outside, I could smell uh, the, the smoke and it would just burn my lungs. But I knew that God was going to be faithful and I believed that his word would not return void. So finally, five days in, and actually on the day that the firefighters predicted that it would reach camp, the fire would reach camp, a huge rainstorm came, and the winds died down, and the fire literally stopped 100 feet from the camp property. And I was the only person that didn't have to evacuate. So everyone else had evacuated, but I didn't have to evacuate the mountain. So I saw God's word in action up close in person. I've prayed and spoken God's word um, of protection and favor over my life numerous times. And I believe um, that as a result, I survived a rollover car accident. Uh, my truck brakes went out on me while I was uh, on the mountain. I have had cougar encounters, and I've been literally hanging for dear life from this huge uh, cliffside, and God spared my life. And so I've also seen um, physical and healing take place immediately when I spoke truth over people. And I could testify time and time again about how God's word has come alive and done miraculous things in my life and in others. So my perspective of God's word has not just been shaped intellectually, but it has been incredibly experiential. I know that it is true, I know that it is powerful, it's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it is constantly changing and impacting and transforming lives. Thank you. Tom, what are some significant things that have helped shape your perspective as you have read the Word of God? Okay, well, um, I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'm going to start out with, um, I was raised as a Catholic in the Catholic Church, and I remember in first grade um, seeing the Baltimore Catechism, which, which is the book that they went by besides the Bible, and it was the very first question in it was, why were, uh, why were we created? And the answer to that was to know, to love, and to serve God, and that the, the idea of to know God, it was like a question that stayed in the back of my mind for a long time. Um, jumping up until I was about 20, I think about 21 or 22, uh, I remember walking up the road um, to the bus stop, and I had this thought come into my head. Uh, it, it, said, it, it said, you're going to be a priest. And I said, oh, no, I'm not. And uh, took a few more steps, maybe another minute, and that thing came again. I said, you're going to be a priest. And I went, well, I must be going nuts because I'm not going to be a priest. And a couple of minutes later, it happened again. I said, you're going to be a priest. And I just stopped because I didn't recognize that voice. 
I knew it wasn't me, it wasn't anything I had been thinking. Um, to me, that was God speaking something into my life before I knew him, because he's sovereign. He can do what he wants to do. He can speak to people the way he wants to speak to people at any time. Uh, so this, this is what I've found over some 40 years now. Um, I found that the Word of God is living, it's active. Um, I've learned that what I believe is true concerning Scripture isn't always necessarily true. An example of that would be, it needs to be, it needs to be proven by both the reading of the Scripture and with the Holy Spirit giving life to it. Um, for instance, I started believing at one time that one of these days we were just going to get raptured right off this earth, and uh, then all heck was going to break out. Um, then it came to a time in my life where I knew, okay, we're going to be going through the rapture, or, or we're, there isn't going to be a rapture. We're going through the tribulation. We are going to we are going to be victorious in this. Um, nothing to worry about. God is on our side. He got Daniel through the lion's den. He got uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fiery furnace. Um, he can certainly save us when there's tribulation going on in the world. Finally, I came to the conclusion, I don't know. I just don't know. Um, come to that conclusion that I don't know, probably will never know, Unless we get until we get to that point in history, we'll either be, we'll either go or we won't go. So it'll be good, whatever God wants to do. Um, I, I've also learned that it, it's the uselessness of arguing. Um, though, if you read my Facebook post, you probably wouldn't think I know that. <laughs> uh, arguing. Things in the church, such as there are so many denominations. Some believe in you baptize babies. Some believe you baptize adults when they when they know that they want to give their lives over to the Lord. Um, works or faith. The churches, different churches, have different ideas on all of these. Um, God is building His church with individuals who are seeking to know who He is more intimately, and most things we argue about are just fluff that's in the way. We just have to spend our time with him and get to know him in a personal way. The Holy Spirit will lay on our hearts what he wants us to know about him. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Give time a hand. Okay. So let's, uh, let's dive into the epic moment in scripture we're going to look at today. It comes from Luke 9. 23 through 26, and Jesus is speaking. And it says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So the context of what's happening in this passage is Jesus is in his season of miracles. He is traveling around. He, in fact, he just, right before he says this, he had fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And he's talking to these men that he's training up to be his disciples, these people that have declared that they're going to follow him. 
And in this intense moment, Jesus is clarifying this, that it's not enough just to know the truth about Jesus. It's not enough just to know the truth about Jesus and not do anything about it. That actually does not make you a follower of Christ. A disciple requires an extreme level of personal sacrifice. And and he gives this example of denying yourself and taking up your cross daily. Now, denying yourself doesn't mean self-rejection or self-loathing or some type of bad self-image. It means to deny everything rooted in the old life. Everything that, uh, everything who we were when we, before we followed Jesus, everything that tripped us up, everything that helped us, held us back, everything that kept us from a close relationship with God, denying our old nature, our sin nature, and surrendering our life in an exchange for the old life to, for the new life, for, for the spirit-led life, for, for the life of following Christ, for one that's different. Now, it's interesting because the disciples... There's no doubt that people were thinking that they were throwing their lives away. Uh, They left their jobs. They left their families. uh, They left their own agendas. And they began to follow Jesus around learning from him. He wasn't paying them. He wasn't giving them anything uh, of substance necessarily. But they just followed him around because they saw the difference in who he was. They believed that he was Jesus Christ. And in fact, they were put in serious danger just because they associated with Jesus. And so Jesus, in this moment, is reassuring these disciples in Luke 9, they have chosen the way that leads to life. It may not look like it right now. It may not look like it where they were in the moment. It may, it may not be what their family is telling them, but they have chosen the way that leads to life. And what we gain in following Christ is far more than what we could ever lose. And that's what he's saying. And so I asked Tom, I want to start with you this morning, from your angle, what does that dying to self daily look like in our culture today? Uh, What does that look like in our life today, that dying to self kind of experience? Okay, um, as far as my own life is concerned, um, dying to self, um, when I was was praying about that and writing down my notes, um, the Lord took me to Titus 2, and reminded me that in that day, um, when Jesus walked the earth in, in a physical form, uh, and then later afterwards when the epistles were written, um, one example is slaves were told that for the sake of the gospel, they should remain in submission to their masters in everything. That's a hard word. Um, But while such a directive is difficult to hear, the lesson is there. We don't know the end from the beginning. When God calls us to do something, it may look totally hopeless. And uh, and that's our challenge. Do we believe God or do we try to find a way out? Uh, Most of us in some of these situations would think God's fallen asleep. Um, If we were to live with a modern-day Joseph, being thrown into a pit, and then eventually being sold into another land, that's a time when we would think that God's fallen asleep. A lot of it, I mean, a lot of us would just say, we're finished. You know, how can this be? How can that be God? Um, Taken, again, taken any of the uh, situations in the scriptures of Joseph, or, you know, Joseph in the pit, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the fiery furnace. 
if that was us in a modern day setting, our temptation would be to think that God isn't there. We've missed it. We've done something wrong. Again, we don't know the end from the beginning. God, we don't know why God calls us into certain situations. But the dying to self is looking toward him and saying, he's got my good in his heart. He's got something set out for me. The promise in Jeremiah um, about that he has good for us, not, not evil, not things of evil. Um, dying to self, as I view it, is taking God's word, especially the rhema word, when it speaks right into our heart, that we follow that and we make that our priority over all logic, our emotions, or even rebellion. Um, personally for me, the wanting to get even or holding a grudge when somebody steals from you or a hundred other things, if you know the word is saying don't, you just simply don't. Uh, an example in my own life is 35 years about 35 years ago, my first marriage ended in divorce. I'd been a Christian for about 10 years at the time. I was that one person that knew I would never get divorced. I would never let that happen. I didn't have a say. <laughs> um, my daughter at the time was five years old. Um, and to this day, I can remember the look in her eyes when I had to walk out the door. Everything in me wanted to let my daughter know that it wasn't me that ended the marriage. I had dozens of excuses and reasons why my wife was the one that was going to cause my daughter the grief that she'd be going through for the next 30, 35 years. Uh, but I held on to the teaching of Jesus to forgive. It was hard and extremely hard. Uh, but I refused to talk bad about her. I wouldn't talk bad about her mom to my daughter, um, though I knew <laughs> there was a lot of bad being talked about me uh, in the other direction. Um, there, there were days when I heard things and I had to take those moments to Jesus and lay them down in front of him. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. I had to cling to that. I mean, I could be vengeful. I could, I could probably do a pretty good job of it, but the end wouldn't be too good. If the Lord does something, it's going to turn out a lot better than if I'd put it in my own hands. Um, the thing is, God showed me that she needed her mom, and she needed the trust in her mom also. So me adding anything about how bad she was or how she didn't love or whatever... Uh, would only make her mom look bad in her eyes, and that would eventually be even worse. So that's something dying to self. Uh, that was an event that happened in my life. It's 35 years later now, from the day I walked out of the door on West 31st Street in Erie, um, my daughter has told my wife, Elise, of almost 30 years now, it'll be 30 years in January, that if it wasn't for her, she doesn't know if she'd even be on this, this earth anymore. 
which means my granddaughters, three granddaughters, wouldn't be on this earth either. Um, our, my daughter comes out to our house on every holiday. Her brings her family out to our house on every holiday. I didn't have to make any excuses back when she was five years old, six years old, seven years old. I just kept my mouth shut, trusted God would do something. And Elise and I have a fantastic relationship with my daughter and three granddaughters. Pray for her. She's still in rebellion to the Lord. Um, I have one more thing that I can add about as far as listening to God, dying to self, and uh, seeing God do something. And things like this have happened to me a whole lot of times. A number of years ago, I had bought a studio, being a photographer, I bought a studio lamp, $400 studio lamp. Um, during a vacation down south, I felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit, which I didn't want to listen to, because uh, the prompting was to give that lamp away. I just bought it. And uh, I, was, I was to give it to a friend of mine, a, a good friend and relative of mine who's, who's in photography, excellent photographer. And uh, I went to Elise and I said, what do you think I should do? She said, the Lord's telling you to give it to him, give it to him. And I was like, oh, jeez. And Jesus. <laughs> um, I had it for a, a month. I needed two more besides that one. So here's God saying to give it away to Bob, a made-up name. Um, I seriously wanted to look up to the heavens and say, is there anybody else up there I can talk to? <laughs> <laughs> I wrestled with it for a while, and then after Elise said, give it to him, I gave it to him. When we got home, I sent it to him in the mail. Of course, he was delighted while I wrestled with the fact that God didn't want me to get into photography. That was his way of saying, no, I've got something else. Well, all that settled down. I had been a member of the photography club in Erie, and a certain group in Erie made it known to the club that they were upgrading their equipment and had a number of state-of-the-art cameras at the time um, and lenses that they were getting rid of. So the cameras mentioned were $7,000 Nikons and $2,500 lenses, things that I would never buy and just never could afford them. How nice, I thought. <laughs> Saying those. As the week of bidding passed to the last day, there were no bids on any of them. There was a spark in my spirit then that that was the hand of God. I bid $900 for each of those uh, three cameras, $2,700. And I bid $300 each on the lenses, $2,500 lenses. And I won them all. Two cameras went on eBay. It paid for the camera that I had left behind for myself. And I picked out the best one for myself. Um, I put the two lenses online on eBay, sold them, got enough money to, to pay for my lens that I kept, which was the nicest one. And I was, still had enough money to buy two of those lamps that I had given away to my friend. So I received 
$10,000, just about $10,000, probably valued at about $7,000 because they were used uh, when I got them um, for my $400 lamp that I gave away. $10,000 for a $400 lamp. And that, and that and that's God. That's that's dying to yourself, not knowing, you know, what He's going to do, not even expecting necessarily that He's going to bless you. Like we we look at that scripture that oh, someone gave somebody something, then God increased it tenfold, thirtyfold, hundredfold. But if we go into it with that kind of a mindset, we're going to miss our blessings. What God wants, I mean, he doesn't care, he doesn't really care about our 10% tithe and offering. Not to stop doing I'm gonna that. I'm going to have to re-preach <laughs> all kinds of things here, Tom. <laughs> what he wants is he wants access to 100% of it. When he says something, be free to give. Be free to give it. 10% is just a number. Um, to me, and I know there'd be people that would, may disagree with me, but to me, that's an Old Testament number. God wants 100%. Everything is his. And if, and if he says, do this, you don't know what the outcome is going to be when you say, okay. That's good. The 10% isn't a formula. We don't give 10% and then expect God now owes me because he doesn't owe us. You know, he's, he's loving. He gives. He gives freely. And it's been proven over and over again in my life. It's taken me a lot of years to believe in the, in, in the giving concept and understanding it. So that's where it is with me. You, you get, you, uh, you die. You die to self. And uh, you live. It's great. I think one of the words in this passage that we need to um, really pay attention to is that word daily, or daily. Um, Luke says we have to take up our cross daily in nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 23, um, because I think that what Jesus wants us to know, what we understand, and what Tom is talking about, this, this type of surrender isn't accomplished in an emotional moment. It isn't accomplished at one good, powerful church service. It isn't accomplished... Um, one time, and then we take a sigh of relief and say, I'm finally there, dead to myself. <laughs> um, there's no shortcut. There's no quick fix to this process. Uh, one Christian writer said, um, getting rid of the self-life is like peeling an onion, layer upon layer, and it's a tearful process. Uh, we often look for the miraculous, right? We look for instant deliverance from a problem. We look for overnight spiritual maturity. But the truth is, Jesus is reminding the disciples and he's reminding us that death to self is a daily work. It's every day. And it's every day, every day of your whole life. We're going to close with this question. I want to ask Amber, um, from your perspective, why? Why is Jesus asking us to live in complete surrender? What are the benefits of, of this type of radical living? Yeah, I believe that Jesus asks us to live in complete surrender because he knew by experience that it's the best place to live. He lived in complete surrender as the son of God and was obedient unto death, but death couldn't hold him down. So we have this incredible hope that when we lay our lives down, it's not the end. It is not the end. John 12, 24 assures us that there is even fruit in surrender. Uh, and it says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus knew the secret sauce, that death actually means life. 
and he deeply desires that we should experience it for ourselves. So this dying to self and living in surrender thing, it can kind of sound incredibly bleak, maybe boring to you, or like it's a terrible thing to do at times, um, especially when it's stacked up to our world's cultures and values. Um, but it's just the opposite. It's and it's important as children of God to remember that. God wants to provide and bless us exponentially more than we could ever imagine and comprehend. And the benefits and rewards of a surrendered lifestyle far exceed the risk and sacrifice it, of it, and they are in addition to eternal salvation. So let's look at some biblical examples of people surrendering themselves that resulted in a positive outcome. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt after years and years of suppression and suffering under Pharaoh's leadership. And I'm sure you're familiar with this story. So they were running from Pharaoh's army, and they came to the Red Sea, the sea. And there wasn't any time to build boats or rent canoes to get across the water. So Moses prays and asks God um, what he should do. And God tells him, take up your staff, stretch it out over the sea, and it will divide so your people can go through it. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have been like, say what, Lord? You want me to do what with this, and that will happen? And I'm pretty sure that I would have laughed and tried to review all the logics of his request. Um, and it just they just wouldn't stack up. It just wouldn't seem logical. But Moses died to himself. He didn't just sit there for hours sorting through all the things that people would have thought of him if his plan didn't work. Uh, he wasn't concerned about getting fired from his leadership position. He grabbed his staff, he raised his arms, and God's power showed up in his surrender and parted the sea before him, saving all his people. And that's just one example in this story of how God showed up in surrender. Then we have Daniel, who was a praying prophet in the Old Testament, and he was an incredible leader, so the king was setting him up to rule a whole kingdom for him. Well, some of the king's advisors weren't very happy about that, so they talked the king into creating a law where the people would only pray and worship him, the king. They knew that Daniel was faithful to the one true God, so they could find him praying and get him uh, thrown into the den of the lions for punishment, which would be death. Well, Daniel did not try to say his prayers under his bed or in the closet, and he didn't just say them in his head. He kept his regular routine of prayer, praying out loud with the windows open. And of course, they heard and found Daniel praying to God, living in surrender, regardless of what the punishment or the outcome would be. He was thrown into the den, but God shut the mouths of the lions, and even though he stared into the eyes of hungry lions, he lived. Not only did Daniel keep his life because of his surrender and obedience to God, but he prospered. The king gave him great responsibility and power. And the king also had this aha moment that the God of Daniel was the real deal, and he had all his people start following the living God. So we see this pattern throughout the Bible that when people die to self, 
they prosper. Mountains are moved and seas are parted and God shows up in magnificent ways. And I believe that this concept was not only a biblical one that we read about, but one that we can experience today. When we are faithful to tithe and give even when the budget is impossible, God sees it and somehow the numbers balance out. Over the past few years here at Erie First, we've talked about radical generosity and we've heard numerous testimonies from people who chose to tithe instead of pay their bills or buy groceries that week. And somehow the Lord provided and a mail, a random check came in the mail to cover that bill or groceries showed up on their porch. So self-sacrifice results in provision. When we honestly answer those hard questions and share our struggles in a safe community, breakthrough happens. We are freed from the secrecy of the things we've been carrying alone, and others partner with us to encourage us and pray and help carry those burdens. So self-sacrifice results in freedom. When we're sitting in a coffee shop and Jesus asks us to walk over and pray for someone or give them a word, God will use that risk. Even if people do not seem to be receptive or are kind of weirded out that you wanna pray with them or give them a word from God, it's okay because our prayer and petition to heaven on their behalf is doing something that will far exceed our wildest imaginations. God wants to use us to show others that he loves them and cares deeply about them. Self-sacrifice results in abundant blessings for others. And this is the one thing that I love the most about living in surrender, that other people can actually experience the fruit of our sacrifices. Destinies are redeemed and lives are transformed and it's just so beautiful and it makes that risk, it makes that sacrifice all worth it. I think the list of benefits and rewards of dying to ourselves are limitless. And I personally think that I've found a deep hope and a peace and believe that living a life of surrender is the only way to live. I no longer have to live in this perpetual unrest of striving to please others or live up to the world's expectations. Jesus will never leave me hanging and is always faithful to show up. And I can be completely content and at peace when I'm a hot mess, when I'm overanalyzing things, when I'm weirding people out in coffee shops because I'm just trying to bless them, when I'm sharing strange dreams or facing natural disasters, um, I know that I have found life and he glories in our sacrifices. And so this morning, if you're on the fence about making this decision and just weighing it, I just ask you know, that you would just take a minute this morning and, and really ponder and think about the benefits because um, they truly, truly exceed the cost of the sacrifice. Thank you, Amber. I will give her a round of applause. Man, we have so much more on this paper, but we are going to, would you stand up this morning? We're going to kind of end with this. Um, if you have never surrendered your life to Christ or you have been half-hearted in your decision or your approach to him, I want to echo Amber's um, challenge this morning that really consider what this gospel moment means to you. Um, the secret to the Christian life is really in its impossibility. We can't do it on our own. We can't 
Um, that what, what God will ask of us is more than we'll ever have. It's more than we'll ever earn. It's more than we could ever give emotionally, physically, spiritually, or mentally. But with God's help, when we deny ourselves and take up our cross, he will help us live this life that Jesus is describing in Luke 9. And so if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus fully or you need help surrendering and dying to self more completely, to my left and to my right, there's some tables with prayer banners. And I just want to encourage you to not leave today until you talk with our prayer team. Um, we're meant to live in this faith journey together. They would love to just pray with you and help you um, take your next step on your faith journey. But let me pray for us this morning as we go. Would you bow your heads? Father God, I thank you so much that you will help us deny ourselves, that you would help us take up our cross every day. I thank you, God, that you are worthy of our whole life. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have been faithful to Tom and been faithful to Amber, God. I thank you that we could be up here all afternoon telling of the goodness of, of who you are. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray um, that we would go, we would be blessed with the perspectives, God, from that was shared this morning. And, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would help us as we dive into the Gospels this month. We love you, we give you praise, and we thank you for this day. And it's in your strong name I pray. Amen. Have an incredible week. We'll see you next Sunday for another round of perspectives.